Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. We're finishing up our mixtape series. Uh, Eric, uh, I believe, is the, the last week. Next week, he's going to kind of wrap it all up. And as if we look back at the Psalms that we've looked at, I mean, we've had uh, Psalms that tell us about how we can trust God with our anxieties and worries. Uh, we've looked at song, uh, Psalms, songs that uh, talked about God's creation, how beautiful it is, uh, you know, that we're, we're in a world that he's created for us to enjoy. Uh, we've talked about how we can find peace in him, uh, how we find peace and rest uh, under the good shepherd. Uh, we've talked about how his word is to be treasured uh, above all things. And the Psalms are full of layers, right? They're, they're from all sorts of uh, life situations and just things kind of going on, uh, but they're all centered on this one thing, and that's God. Right, that God should be the core, the foundation that we build off of. So it's always coming back to that. And as we gather today and, and gather any Sunday, I speak for all the leaders that I hope that you leave from a Sunday morning after we worship together and, and we go with the teaching, that you leave encouraged, that you leave reminded that God loves you. Right? And, and I think that like, we hear that often, but it's, it doesn't always penetrate fresh every time we hear it. And God does. God loves you individually, as a group and individually. I hope that you leave remembering that God loved you so much that he sent Christ to live a perfect life and to die a sacrificial death on your behalf specifically. That's the gospel, right? I mean, John 3.16, God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And This is why we're here. Now, as we think about God and who he is, our culture, there's this this saying, it's really popular that God is love, right? I mean, who's who's heard God is love, right? We see it all the time. It's everywhere we go. And our culture really likes it because it's not offensive, right? There's There's no rough edges to like, oh, man, that guy's love. Like, we, we just like that. Often when we, we hear a statement like that, um, it's comforting and, and all of that. And it's, and it's comforting because it's true, right? I mean, it's a true statement. Like, I don't want to, to say that that's nothing true about that statement. But the danger is, or, or what often happens, is that we think of that as defining God, and it becomes this one-dimensional definition. Like, God is love. And we get this one-dimensional one view of who God is. And if we think about it, I mean, there's not a single person in this room that we could characterize by one attribute. Because we're too complex of creatures. Like, we have too much variety, too much things going on. And if we think about God, I mean, we are far less complex than God is. We're far less capable and interesting than he is. We don't have nearly the amount of wisdom or power or good that he does. So to characterize God by this one attribute is problematic. And as we look at Psalm 29 today, we're going to see a different dimension of God. We're going to focus on a different aspect of who he is. My goal is that we would remind ourselves, and and maybe this will be be new for some people, um, that we would remind ourselves that God is not just the solution to our sin problems. He's not just our Savior, but he's also our Lord. And he is a Lord who is powerful, majestic, and holy. So uh, as, as we look at Psalm 29, I mean, one of the blessings about Psalm 29 is it's shorter. 
right? It's only 11 verses. It's probably the shortest psalm that we've done in this whole series. Uh, It's a psalm of praise. Uh, It's a psalm that uses nature to put the power of God on display. Uh, Most scholars and commentators think that David was inspired by a thunderstorm. Uh, They look at some of the verses and they believe that this thunderstorm started over the Mediterranean Sea, uh, that it came up through Israel, uh, kind of up the border, uh, across Lebanon, and then ended in Mount Hermon, or which in, in the text here is called Sirion. Uh, and, and that's kind of this, the path of this storm. Um, I, I don't have an issue with that. I don't completely agree uh, that that is kind of what happened uh, I, for a number of reasons. One, I just think, you know, where does David have to be on that trajectory to witness this whole storm? because that would be problematic. Um, So I take a little bit of a a different view, but I think we get to the same thing. Um, The imagery, though, is absolutely of a storm. Like, there's there's absolutely storm imagery in this. I think there's a little bit more, too, but we'll we'll get to that. Um, I want to start looking at some of this imagery in in, in verse 3. It says, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. Now, when I hear this, I think there was a scene in like Jurassic Park or Jurassic World or whatever the last one was where the camera like kind of comes in. You have to forgive me. I I told you guys I'm a movie person, so everything is an image to me. And the camera kind of comes in and it's just like flying across the the surface of the ocean. It's just fast and free and it's just moving. And and that's what I think of in this particular uh, verse or this this particular set of this verse. As we, we think about this image, like what does that mean? I mean, the ocean water itself covers 71% of the surface of the world. So I, I don't know, I mean, that's a, that's a good portion of the surface of the world, and the, the Lord is over those waters, his voice is kind of over those waters. Um, anybody been out in the middle of an ocean where you can look out on all sides and not see any land? Right, like, it's like, there, like there's a physical response to that, like just this feeling of smallness, like this, and, and, I mean, how many of you were on a small boat? Because a lot of people, they'd be like, oh, I was on a cruise ship. It's like, okay, well, there's a little bit different. If you're on a small boat especially, it's like, there's a danger to this. Like, it just feels, I don't know, I do. Maybe I'm just a, a big wimp. But uh, they, I just feel like there's this physical response. And, and when you're sitting in the middle of the ocean, surrounded by water on all sides, you absolutely just get this feeling of, I am small in comparison to everything around you. And then we even think about, I, I kind of put this up on Facebook and, and got some responses. Um, but we think about that, not even just the ocean, but we can look at other scripture that talks about the stars and the universe, that God gave us layers of things that we continue to get to know him, and then we see, oh, he's bigger than that. Oh, he's bigger than that. So this image, when I look at it, it's, it's there to convey that God is present and that his power knows no limits or place or time. He's just across everywhere at one moment. Uh, Verse 3 continues, the God of glory thunders, the Lord over many waters. Uh, I want to tell you guys a story when I was in high school, I think it was about 15, and there was, I don't know, four or five guys, and we were camping in my backyard. And, you know, it was getting late, and we were kind of up and talking, and then it started to kind of sprinkle, and you could just kind of hear the rain start. And, you know, there was like, oh, like, you know, do we need to go inside or is it okay? And, and all of a sudden, there was this flash of lightning that blinded us. And I mean, not exaggerating, like, blinded us. Now, we were in the tent with the cloth and the lightning 
was so bright that through the tent, like our, all of our eyes just, whoa, what happened? And before our vision came back, there was this boom of thunder that literally pushed us to the ground. And then immediately after that, just a sudden downpour of rain, like the most rain I've ever seen fall instantly in my life. So when I look at this verse, like I immediately think back to that. Because as soon as sight came back and, and everybody was there, everybody runs out of the tent and then in, inside. And I'm left in the tent and I'm kind of laying there and I'm thinking to myself, that could have killed me. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm 15 and just thinking like, that was the most just overwhelming thing, like just out of nowhere. I was just completely caught in awe and wonder. Uh, I feel like this, this image of God, you know, using the thunder and, and, and the lightning, uh, it shows that God's strength is powerful, that it, it, it can humble you immediately, but it can also come along, or come along suddenly. And with force that can just knock you over. I mean, you can go from here to blinded. You can go from here to on the floor. And his presence will do that to you. Uh, the next image that we see is in verse 5, right? Uh, so verse 5, uh, this is a, a, a Lebanon cedar or a cedar of Lebanon. It's probably, if you, I don't, it's kind of hard to see, but there's right at the base there, there's a little picnic table. You can just barely see it. Um, the picture's kind of dark there, but if, you, if we were standing here, this tree would be probably twice as high as this room and would fill most of the inside. So this is not just like a, you know, tree in your front yard, unless you have a really big front yard. Uh, we have all seen the news, you know, hurricanes, tornadoes, you know, all of the, the weather kind of things. So we've seen the power of the wind that rips things from the ground and hurls them like twigs that can break trees. Uh, this, you know, this passage, this voice of the Lord, some think, oh, you know, like lightning strikes a tree and breaks it. Some think wind pulls it apart. Um, this is, this image, in my opinion, is where <laughs> we begin to take a scary turn, right? Because so far, like, God is in the water, and, and God is in the rain, and God is in the thunder and the lightning. And, and, you know, rain and water, they nourish us, they, like, we need water. And lightning and thunder, you, they're kind of, like, cool from a distance. But when trees start flying around you, like, your life is at risk. So this is a significant turn to me uh, in the text as, as we start looking at who God is. In verse 6, it says, he makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a wild ox. Now, most commentators um, think that this verse is kind of continuing the wind blowing the trees, uh, and, and there's reasons, and it, it could be. Um, I differ from the pack here. Um, I think it's talking about earthquakes, and there's a couple of reasons why. Um, one of them is that it just so happens that there is a fault line that goes up the border of Israel and ends at Mount Hernan, or at Mount Hermon, which is, again, Syrian in this passage. So I, I just, you know, from, from this and some of the other parts of it, I, I, I lean more towards earthquakes here. Uh, either way, you know, God is, is shaking things up. Um, and, and if we, we follow that line of logic, I mean, we've moved beyond a storm here 
We're no longer seeing the wind and the water move. We're now seeing the very foundations beneath our feet move. The earth is rolling and jumping or skipping along, and we can see in this larger picture that the earth is separating from itself. And I, <laughs> I found this picture of the railroad track online, and that's got to be like a doctored photo. So I like, was doing research. I mean, this, is actually, this was an earthquake that was in Canterbury, England, and it literally bent the tracks through the earthquake. And, and I look at this, and I think, man, that's scary. I mean, the image here that, that God is in control of the very foundations we walk on, that he doesn't just move mountains, he moves countries, right? He shakes Lebanon. So he moves this whole country at once. He's, he's not just shaping the mountains, but he's, he's moving the land. Uh, the ground that we walk on that we take for granted is not so solid that he cannot move it. So we think like, oh, you know, this situation is beyond God's control. Nope. Like he moves the earth. Trees, right? We can avoid trees flying through the wind. We can use our ninja skills and dodge them as they go by, for those of you who have ninja skills. Uh, but there's no way for us to avoid the ground. I mean, anybody who can walk, I mean, not on the ground, I, I don't know how you do that. I think it's only Jesus, right, on the water? Uh, so so those, those kind of images as they go through, they're, they're kind of building this case that God is uh, in control of things. And starting in verse 7, this is where I think like it goes from being dangerous to unavoidable to uh, destructive. Like there is some destruction that's going on at the end of this verse or the end of this, this uh, psalm. So in verse 7, it says, the voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. Uh, uh, references to lightning. Uh, the, voice is, the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. Um, there's a, there's a, a, they call it a revocalization. The, the original text in Hebrew, I, um, from my understanding, uh, Marcella would be a great person to ask about this. Uh, the vowels are not included and, and they're, they're kind of inferred. So uh, the revocalization, what that means is there's, if you, if you infer one of the different vowels, uh, what that would make this statement say, instead of the deer give birth, it would say, or makes the oaks to shake. And the kind of the literal translation, even with the deer give birth, is the deer to stir. So the make the oaks to shake, it's a, it's a very similar phrase. And I'm of the opinion that makes the oaks to shake fits better with the, the thought process that's going on. Uh, and he strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood, and the Lord sits enthroned as king forever. So that is ending with verse 10. And, and if we think about kind of what's happened here now, in this passage, in this psalm, the foundations of the mountains have been shook. Lightning has struck and shattered some cedars. Winds are pulling them out of the ground. A fire has started in the forest. The oaks are shaking, and the forest is stripped bare, assumingly, uh, my assumption is, by the fire. Without the vegetation, uh, now there is flooding. And that flooding kind of comes through. And over all of this, the Lord sits enthroned as king forever. Now, some of the pieces in here are also why I differ from the pack on, on how I read this psalm. And, and it's because uh, I, didn't, I don't see this as a commentary on a specific storm, but I see it as a commentary just on God's power over the physical universe. 
Um, in verse 3, when it says that the Lord is over the waters, this is very reminiscent of Genesis 1-2, right? When it says that the Lord's, uh, the Spirit was over the water right after he had separated um, the earth and the heavens. And the last statement, being enthroned over the flood, um, to me, I immediately thought about Noah's flood and the flood that was judgment. So as I read this psalm, you know, I come to the same conclusion. I mean, this isn't like some, you know, groundbreaking difference of opinion we have. I just see some other parallels here uh, that I didn't read in any of the three or four commentaries uh, that I was looking through. Uh, But these other parallels, beyond just saying that God has control over nature, or that, like, look, God has power because of the nature he's created, I see it more as God created nature, he's maintaining nature, and he's judging, right? Um, To me, this psalm doesn't just speak of God's power and his ability to create, but the active work of his voice in creation even now. And honestly, it's a really tough interpretation because there's some connotation to it, right? If God is involved right now in these phenomenons of nature, these natural occurrences, if he's involved in earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes and tsunamis, damage is done. Like there is some destruction in this passage. And it stirs the question of how can a loving God allow pain? So I, I, I mean, this was, this was not the track that my sermon was on. And Josh actually said something when we were having a meeting and it I don't know, apparently stuck, and then all of a sudden it was going in this different way, and thank you, Josh, for ruining my weekend. Um, (laughs) But the imagery, it it paints this picture. Like, it paints a picture of a storm that contains power that changes the landscape of a forest, right? There's, uh, it changes, not only changes the landscape of a forest, it changes the landscape of a whole country, of a mountain, and this storm, or any natural disasters, contain that kind of power, They contain the type of power that all we can do is sit back and say, okay, that's powerful. How do we survive its presence? Right? Psalm 29 takes this picture of that storm and then says, God is like that. God has power that is beyond your comprehension. He has a plan that is completely out of your control. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 capture this clearly, right? He says, uh, starting in verse 8, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This This may be hard to hear because if God has never caused you to pause and re-examine things, if God has never offended you, if God has never caused you discomfort or pain, caused you to wrestle with the ideas and expectations that he puts forth, your relationship with God lacks depth. Because as you get to know God, it's going to expose things about you. It's going to correct your thinking. It's going to change your values. It's going to alter who you are just as a storm alters the landscape as it goes over it. Right? Sometimes those storms are nice, nourishing, encouraging rainfall. 
And sometimes those storms are violent forces that tear the cedars of sin out of your life. And that hurts. Um, I was listening to a worship song yesterday, and uh, the, the worship leader who was singing, it was on the radio or, or on Pandora or something like that, and she kind of paused and, and started saying that there was no place for pain in this world. There's no place in pain, no place for pain. And I thought, oh, that, I, I, you know, and, and, and without getting into like a whole rabbit trail of what that is, but it just kind of hit me. It was like, I mean, especially being in this passage, like, no, like there is definitely a place for pain. And, and we need to understand that. I mean, we look at the apostles, their lives after Christ, full of pain. Not wealth, not riches, full of pain. Uh, okay, uh, soapbox or rabbit trail over. Let's kind of get back to where we were. Um, when we look at God and, and he reveals all of this to us, <laughs> the, the reason that is absolutely going to happen is because, again, God is more complex than you. So we're learning to be more complex. He's more interesting than you. He's wiser than you, more powerful, and he is absolutely, positively holier than all of us, right? In short, if you know God, you will change. And I have never met anyone who goes through change at this level, this kind of thinking, worldview, emotional identity change that it's pleasant for, that there's not this, some level of pain and frustration involved in it. All right, so I, I want to take a moment and, and clarify one thing. Um, God is going to use every trial, every storm that comes in your life. He's going to use those to change you to be more like him. And every single one has a purpose and it will be used for his glory. Like he promises that. However, every tragedy that occur, occurs is not a judgment on a specific sin. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Every tragedy that occurs, whether it's a hurricane or it's something that happens to somebody specifically, is not a judgment on a specific sin. We know this because Jesus told us that. He made it clear in Luke 13. Right? If we look at Luke 13, <coughs> starting in verse 1, it says, There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans? Because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you all will likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So Jesus specifically states here that tragedy is not the direct result of a specific sin committed by those who are suffering. In fact, he says that those who suffered were no more guilty, no more sinners than the ones that were spared. So, you know, when we look at things like, I know it was really big when Katrina came in and, and there was this, oh, like God is judging. Like, nope, let's not assume that God is judging until we know for sure, until he tells us, right? And we don't need to be the judge. God is the judge. <clears throat> now, when sin entered the world, so did decay and death and frustration and tragedy. So sometimes we're just the subject to that fallen world and the result of the sin that comes with it, right? Uh, I, I even think of, 
when it, when it comes to hurricanes and tornadoes and all of this, like, we don't know what the world was like before the fall. We don't know, you know, all of these things. I mean, we have ideas of, you know, there's all kinds of different um, viewpoints on it, but it could have been much more controlled, right? I mean, this could just be a result of God maintaining a fallen earth. Like, there's all kinds of possibilities there. It, this passage basically tells us, though, not that all natural occurrences are not judgment, but that we can't guarantee that they are. Because some tragedy that happens in your life is judgment on sin. Like, I, th- I think we overcorrect sometimes and we think, oh, God doesn't judge us. I mean, if there's a specific sin that your flesh is, is killing you with, <laughs> I mean, the Lord may go to that extreme to, to put an act of discipline on you in some sort of occurrence. But it is not, by default, always the case. In fact, I believe that it would probably be uh, more the rare occasion than the, the norm. Uh, so both scenarios exist, and, and this passage kind of reinforces that. It does end with a specific thing, though. Is it says, in, if we do not repent, tragedy is where we will all end up. So this is basically just unpacking this, how can a good God allow bad things to happen? And many wiser, uh, more studied men and, and women have studied this and, and could give you great answers to it. Um, I agonized, and, and how, do we, how do we talk about this? How do we explain this? Um, and there's two things that I, that I thought of. Um, one was my sister-in-law, um, Holly. If you guys have been here any number of weeks, you've heard us mention the um, House of Refuge in Cambodia. And Holly is a missionary that we support in, in Cambodia who runs that house. About two years ago, she got in a moto accident. She almost died. She broke collarbones, ribs, like scraped up everywhere. She had severe head trauma, um, you know, concussions and, and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, she, the organization that she was with was not prepared to handle this kind of tragedy. Um, and she was in the hospital. People were, you know, kind of trying to make decisions. And, and by God's grace, you know, she came out okay. Um, she returned home. There was an organization, um, ATP, which is, is what House of Refuge is under now, uh, that came alongside. They paid for her trip home. They paid for her hospital bills. They paid for her a process of, of kind of healing and, and getting through that. Um, she went back to Cambodia there was some, some friction and drama with the organization that she was with. Um, long story short, she was kicked out of the house with the rest of the staff, and they didn't give, they kept everything that had been built up over the last five, six years, seven years. So all the beds, all the refrigerators, all the motos, the building, the leases, they had three buildings, all of that. Um, she came back home, and you know, we, we had to start all over again. Well, this is a tragic thing, and, and not only is it a tragic thing because of the accident, but it's a tragic thing because of the relationships. It's a tragic thing because of all of, all of that going on, and it was very difficult for Holly. And on this side of it, we can see the fruit that has come out of that. ATP is a much better organization. ATP is sending people into Iraq right now to rescue kids and, and women and refugees out of the danger zones of, of ISIS. I mean, there are literally people that, that ATP works with who have died in the last year doing this. Um, you know, Victor, the, the gentleman who is over ATP, he's fully behind Holly, and, and um, I help oversee some of that now. Um, we have a house, as you guys know, that's like this three-story house. It's 16 bedrooms. It used to be a brothel. 
and the rent on that house is less than the three houses that we had previously. So we can look at this one instance of tragedy and, and see God works through it. And God had a different plan and brought a different thing out of it. The other thing that came to mind, um, and I think, because, because here's the thing, guys, like, that one's easy because it's like, oh, okay, well, we see how God works this. Well, what about, you know, my child died? How does God get glory out of that? And when it really comes down to, like, I, it, there's just pain in the world. Like, I don't have an easy answer for, for every situation, every tragedy, every trial that you guys could go through, and, and you know people who are, are going through. Um, but my daughter, who is three years old, loves and adores me. Uh, she's very much a daddy's girl, and she's constantly looking to me for affection and attention. Um, she's three, and I'm 40. So there's a gap. I'm almost 40. I'm I don't want to claim more years than I have to. Uh, <laughs> three and 40, there's this gap of understanding of how the world works. Right? So recently, Iris has begun to use the word nice, and she's you know, always saying, like, oh, well, that's nice, or, well, that's not nice. And that was my best Iris impression. Uh, <laughs> so on occasion, like, I have to do something to Iris to take away something from her or tell her she can't do something that she desires and wants. And her response is, that's not nice, right? <laughs> well, that's because Iris has a one-dimensional one view of what makes something nice. And she is that dimension, right? <laughs> um, her definition of nice, <laughs> my son thought I was funny too. Her definition of nice is centered on her ultimate protection. Uh, I'm sorry, her definition of nice is centered on her desires and understanding. My definition of nice is centered on her well-being and protection, right? Making sure that she grows up to be a not-spoiled brat, among other things. So I hope that you guys can kind of make the connection here, right? Because awful things happen in the world, and I can't explain them away. Like, it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. Um, I can't fully comprehend why they are necessary or even why God allows them, but I do trust that the gap between my understanding and God's is far more significant than the gap of the understanding of my daughter and I. My daughter is learning to understand the world, and she's letting go of her one-dimensional view of things, and she's learning to see through the eyes of others, right? She's learning to share and, and think, how does that person experience this? I'm learning to let go of my one-dimensional view of God and learning to see through his eyes so that I would better understand what love is. Because when we say God is love, a lot hinges on what we understand love to be. I want to close by focusing on the first two verses, and then we'll, we'll look at the last verse in this psalm as well. Because I think that they relate to this, right? The psalm opens with a command. It says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. And, and that really could kind of be the worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. So to ascribe means to give or assign value. And this psalm opens with this command to the heavenly beings. I would basically say, if you have been given a voice, this command has been given to you. Use that voice to ascribe strength and power to the Lord. Worship him with that voice. And if this topic, 
this, this thought of God as Lord hasn't given you pause or, or has given you pause, has kind of shook your understanding of who God is, I would start by ascribing him strength and power and understanding that like, he is in control. He is the God of the storm. Whatever tragedies or trials or sicknesses or worries are swirling around us, it's comforting to know that we don't have a, a kindly grandfather who loves us and we go to and gives us candy to make us feel better. Because that just fills us with false hope and it's just a band-aid. It doesn't lead anywhere. It doesn't help our problems at all. And so often when we say God is love, our culture hears that. God is accepting and, and doesn't want to change you and is going to affirm you the way that you are and you can do every, like you are the master of the universe. God is just here to help you master your universe. And that is not God. <coughs> we don't need to hear empty words. We don't need false hopes. We need a God who is strong and powerful. A God who loves us so much that he's, hurt, he's willing to hurt us when necessary to save our souls. And we can trust him because, just as it says in verse 2, we can trust him because of his holiness. It's, it's the fact that he is holy and powerful that makes him God. His holiness has been given to us through Jesus, right? The sacrifice that was made on the cross was an act of loving justice. I think that, that one of the things that is often forgotten with the cross is the cross was not just something that God did so that we would get a picture. Like the cross was an actual payment for sin. That forgiveness is not something that we just turn away and, and look in a different direction and just pretend that didn't happen. Forgiveness is something where we pay the penalty to excuse the thing that happened. And that's what Christ did on the cross, right? This act of love was also an act of justice because forgiveness requires uh, a price to be paid. And the God who is strong enough to create things out of nothing, this ex nihilo kind of creation, creating out of nothing, is the only person who had the power to pay that price for forgiveness. There's nobody else who could have done it. So a God who is just love, in, in the sense that our culture kind of sees that, doesn't have the power to love us enough to solve our sin problems. We don't just need a savior, we also need a Lord. And the glory of God is in that power and love that he has. They're one and the same, right? He's not just our Savior, he's also our Lord. And when we see his glory, his magnificence, his power, it's going to bring you to your knees and cause you to worship. And this psalm really is a call to worship. So that's what we're, we're going to do. Um, we're going to do communion. Uh, the, the worship team can, can come on back up. Uh, we're going to do communion, then we're going to sing in praise. Uh, I want to, you know, just kind of let everybody know uh, the bread is gluten-free, so if you have any gluten problems, you're good to go. Um, I want you guys to use this communion time to reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus and to spend it ascribing 
power and strength to him. It's important for us to use our words in a way that defines the world that we live in, right? Because if, if we forget to do verse 1 and 2, then when the storm comes, we think it's out of control. And we think it's hopeless. But if we continue to remind ourselves that God is powerful, then we're going to be able to withstand those storms and we can, we can look, just as is in verse 11 when it says we can ask in confidence um, that the Lord would give us the strength to be able to persevere through those storms. And that he would, by all means, grant us peace that we could have times of rest in his presence outside of those storms. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee Campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.